We are continuing our Lenten series on what wondrous love, considering what God has done for us as we walk this Lenten journey together. And we are in Luke's Gospel this morning, in chapter 13, and we will be reading verses 1 through 9. Listen for the Word of God. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Are those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? And he replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. At first glance, or at first hearing, this text sounds like a perfect Lenten text, does it not? Repent or perish. Some expected words, perhaps, from a Lenten perspective, but some difficult words, no less, coming from Jesus' mouth. Repent or perish. Some might think that sounds kind of Old Testament. Yeah? Um, but let us remember that Jesus' scripture is what we know as the Old Testament, right? And it formed him. Um, but I think there is something else that's going on in this text other than what is just on the surface. And what I would like for us to do is shift to the parable that closes off this text and let's use it to help us interpret Jesus' words, repent or perish. So my husband and I both come from gardening families. My grandmother always had a huge kitchen garden that she would move every three year, or every few years to give the ground time to rest. Um, and my husband also grew up in a household that had, had a little garden in the backyard. And we both grew up with compost piles. And so, when we got married, almost 28 
28 years ago. I'm looking back there because he remembers the dates better than I do. Anyway, uh, when we got married almost 28 years ago, I mean, we didn't even have to negotiate about it. We just knew we would have a compost pile and that we would have a compost bucket in the kitchen that we could put our veggie scraps in and our eggshells and our uh, coffee grounds and things like that to go put on the compost pile. And, and whenever we moved, we took the compost pile with us. And it always amazes me how you can take these things that we consider refuse, apple skins and the tomato seeds and juice and coffee grounds and eggshells and all those kinds of things, and you can go put it on a pile with dried up leaves and grass clippings and stuff like that and turn it every once in a while, and you come up with this earthy smelling brown stuff that your plants love. Such a God thing, really. And so one year when when our daughter was, uh, oh, I don't know, older elementary school, I guess, and so she had a party and over at the house, and, you know, there sat our compost bucket by the sink, and her friends were just so grossed out by it. They were like, what's that? He said, well, that's where we put our veggie scraps. What for? Well, they go in the compost pile. What's that? So it required a field trip out to the compost pile, right? Um, and as I mentioned, I think it is such a God thing to take what we cast off as trash and to turn it into something Beautiful and usable and something that is actually life-giving. You know, this notion of the parable of the gardener and then the master who owns the area where this garden is brings up some interesting issues for us. I think often... When we read parables, we can easily peg whoever the master is as God. So let's take that reading of this parable. The master has a fig tree, and the fig tree has not produced fruit. So the master is God, right? And so the master is really impatient because this tree has not produced and wants to cut it down and the gardener you know says oh please let me let me let me give it some compost and and then let's see if it'll produce fruit and then if not you can cut it down but i would like to suggest a different reading and some of this is based on the levitical laws that are in leviticus 25 where it uh, talks about first fruit offerings, the text does. And there is a commandment that you cannot harvest fruits from fruit trees for at least three years. And then in the fourth year, you can only pick enough fruit for your first fruits offering, an offering to God. And then after the fourth year, then you can begin to harvest the fruit for consumption and for profit. So 
If the master in this text is God, God then is going against God's own commandments in Leviticus, which doesn't make sense to me. Okay? So, which character do you think is really God? And I would like to suggest that it's the gardener. The gardener says, wait, let me feed it. Let me nurture it so that then perhaps it can produce fruit. And if not, uh, then you can cut it down. Because really, when you get right down to it and you think about how the world works, who is it that is most concerned about production? Who is it that is most concerned about production to the extent that the Sabbath every seventh day, which God apparently observes, that we don't even observe? And I think that the master in this text is analogous to humans who are impatient and want results. And God, the gardener, says, let me give it one more chance. Let me give it one more chance. So if we take this interpretation and we put it back on what we heard in Jesus asking the crowd around him to repent or to perish, That word repent is a real important word here. The word repent finds its roots in the Hebrew word teshuvah or the Greek word metanoia, both of which mean turning around, changing one's orientation from this direction to this direction. Okay? It is an active word that has very little to do with Dissolving into tears because you did wrong, but continuing to do the same thing over and over again. It's a very active word that means to change your orientation, your stance, your perspective on the world and on God to something else. Okay? Now, the question that has come to Jesus and which elicits this response from him, is the question of a really horrific event that happened in Galilee. Um, An instance in which Pilate, um, who was the governor at the time, uh, set some troops loose on people who were uh, making their sacrifices in the temple. And it was... A murderous scene, hence the description in the text about, you know, Pilate mingling their blood, the victim's blood, with that of their sacrifices. A really um, horrible, horrible scene. And the question is, well, were they worse than everybody else? Did they sin more than everybody else? And Jesus' answer is, absolutely not. Just as when the Tower of Siloam fell and it killed some Galileans, they weren't any more evil or sinful than anybody else. 
And then comes the injunction from Jesus to repent or to perish. To repent from what? To repent from what? And I would like to suggest that it means to repent from the stance that says that there is all this kind of gradation of sin and that some of us are better than others and that there are some that are worse than others and we want to rank and hierarchicalize everything and insist on production and that if there is not production, then that person is useless. Because in God's economy, life is abundant. Life is fruitful. Life is life engendering and life giving. And there is no limit of love or of grace. And I think what Jesus is calling us to repent from is the notion that there's only one pie and it can only be divvied up so many ways. Because we're talking about God here. We're talking about a God who says, let me try one more time. Over and over and over and over again. Calling us to repent from thinking that there is not enough and that we've got to scrap for what is out there to a life that's defined by God's abundant love and grace and that there is enough for everybody, forever. My friends, that is our call this Lent. Let us repent or perish. Amen.